Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Courtney Snyder, a physician, an adult, and child holistic psychiatrist. In this podcast, I discuss cutting-edge research into the root causes of brain-related symptoms, alongside ancient understanding of health and well-being. From these left-brain and right-brain perspectives, I discuss interventions, tools, and mindsets that we can use not only to heal, but to thrive. In today's episode, I'll be discussing what can be our biggest challenge or our greatest superpower, and that would be our ability to recognize and express our feelings. Our feelings relate to our survival and our connections. We are here in this life to connect. In order to authentically connect, we need to feel. When it comes to emotions, we all fall on a spectrum. At one end of the spectrum are those of us who more easily avoid uncomfortable emotional states. And on the other end of the spectrum are those of us who can become easily overwhelmed by our emotions. We may even vacillate between both. Perhaps we avoid anger until we are then overwhelmed and that emotion takes us by surprise when it comes out in our behavior. In the middle of that spectrum, however, there is a place where we are readily able to listen to ourselves, know what we are feeling, tolerate those feelings, and, if appropriate, use that information to guide us. So useful are our feelings that I think of this ability as a superpower. I hope after this episode you will too. Though in a future podcast episode I'll talk about strategies for dealing with overwhelming emotional states, today's episode is more focused on moving past avoidance of negative feelings. I'll talk about why we even have feelings, how they relate to our ability to connect with others, reasons some of us are more likely to avoid uncomfortable feelings, like feeling sad, angry, or scared. I'll discuss consequences of unrecognized feelings from our health to our relationships, and how we can harness this superpower more effectively. So why this topic at this time? After the last three episodes on mold toxicity, I've been looking forward to returning to what I would call a right brain topic. Right brain is the shorthand that I use for considering the bigger picture. Less details, less research, and more that place of tapping into our heart, humanity, and connections. I am a believer that too much attention to the minute details of our health can cause more harm than good if not balanced by the bigger picture of our lives. I tend to agree with Bertrand Russell who said, we know too much and we feel too little. Though there is a general progression of these topics as I try to lay out groundwork early on and build upon that information, The choice of topics are also dictated by my own needs at the time. What is it that I'm thinking about? What do I need to personally sink into? My own natural inclination as an under-methylated left-brain person is instead to keep pushing ahead, checking boxes, staying organized, but I know that if physical symptoms don't start to emerge first, my impatience and irritation will So first know that feelings are distinct from our thoughts and our behaviors. These are the three areas focused on in mental health. 
feelings. And when you think about the word feel, recognize that this is an embodied word. Feelings are less in our head than they are actually in our body. The strictest definition of feelings is that they are emotional states or reactions or a belief. For example, he had a feeling he couldn't trust her or an emotional state, a feeling of sadness or anger or fear. An emotion, which I'll be using these two terms interchangeably, is a natural instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances. So when you think about instinctive, recognize that that's something that starts within us, not necessarily in our head. In my original practice, which focused on treating children with attachment-related issues, one of the goals of treatment was to teach children how to recognize and verbalize feeling states. And if you're wondering, we all are dealing with a degree of attachment-related issues. This is part of our modern human condition. The only four feeling words that we would use were mad, sad, glad, and scared. I think all the other feeling words fall into one of those four. If you do want to consider a fuller range of emotions, Brene Brown's book Atlas of the Heart goes into many nuances and distinctions. I do think on one hand such labels can help us pinpoint why we might feel unsettled. We might not admit to ourselves, for example, that we are mad, but might admit to ourselves that we are resentful or jealous or envious. Why do we have feelings? They are telling us something to support our survival. By way of the vagus nerve, which I've done previous podcast episodes on, our sensory organs, so for example, our eyes and ears, bring in information that we have a physiologic response to. This occurs automatically and not necessarily filtered through our rational thoughts. This helps us quickly recognize threats and to quickly recognize, for example, when we can more or less likely trust someone. And this is, again, by way of what we, our eyes are seeing and our ears are hearing. So taking in someone's facial expressions, movements, and voice. And again, this is very physiologic, and someone's tone of voice and their expression may be communicating one thing while their words and what they are trying to portray might be quite different. So our physiology can pick up on information that our brain can't necessarily. Aside from picking up information about potential threats in our environment, our survival is also dependent on our connection to others. And I would argue that being our authentic self, which connects us to others, is supportive of our survival. Still, there will be those who will discount emotions. Uh, Dr. Laura Schlesinger is a radio personality and at least previously, if not currently, had a call-in show where people would call in, essentially, and ask for her advice. And more than once I had heard her say to a caller expressing feelings about their situation, I don't care about your feelings. My hope is that her intention was to help the caller focus on their behaviors and choices, and I hope that her intent was not to draw listeners by shaming those who are calling for help. Another way feelings can be discounted 
is through what is called spiritual bypassing. And this is where people are taught and start to believe that if they were more evolved, then they wouldn't have feelings. Know that it doesn't matter how spiritual, enlightened, and evolved that we become, feelings will still be necessary and healthy and part of our human condition. Positive psychology can be mistaken for an attempt to ignore painful feelings instead can sound like the intention is for people just to be happy all the time. Positive psychology actually is the study of those who are thriving. And those who are thriving are having their feelings. They're not perpetually positive, but rather having a life full of rich emotions and experiences. Another tough cookie, as I would say, besides Dr. Laura Schlesinger, but in the spiritual world, is Carolyn Mace. I have found her work to be meaningful in my own life to the person who is suffering and asks her the question, why me? She responds simply, why not you? This can sound a bit harsh, but I think it makes an important point. It drives home the message that life isn't easy, nor should we expect it to be all sunshine and rainbows. To be human is to have experiences, some of which will be painful. No one is entitled to a life free of suffering. Much of our suffering, however, comes out of our belief that we shouldn't suffer. Our culture feeds this notion that we should have an easy time of it, and many of the consequences of our repressed emotions will come from that same belief. Carolyn Mace's question, why not you, came to me when I was struggling with my own health. My anger at the time came from the belief that I was entitled in some way to perfect health, a perfectly functioning body and mind, and a perfect life trajectory going exactly as I planned. It was fine to have those feelings associated with what I would say were false expectations, but it wasn't fine to stay stuck there. All of this is to say that part of having our feelings is to surrender to what is. And what is, is that we are human, and at our best, we feel deeply. We feel sadness when we lose or are losing someone we have been lucky enough to have a strong connection with. We might even feel sad for losing the idea of a connection, or sad for the connection we longed for with someone that we never really had a connection with. We feel angry when our integrity is threatened. This could be a physical threat or a threat to who we are at our core. We feel mad when someone we care about or even a stranger is being mistreated. Again, a threat to connection. Similarly, instead of being mad, we feel scared when we feel our life or our integrity is threatened and when we feel we might lose someone. And you can hear in these last two statements that fight or flight. So fight or flight is a very physiologic, automatic, or what we call autonomic response in the body. And it's very aligned with emotions of fight being associated with anger and flight being associated with fear. And what about happy? We feel happy when we feel safe and connected to others. These go hand in hand. Only when we feel safe are we fully able to connect. So if we're running in fear 
or angrily fighting with lions, we aren't in a state in which we're able to connect with others. And when we do feel safe and connected, everything feels right in the world. So we can vary in terms of our ability to express our emotions and experience our emotions. And much of this has to do with our attachment style, but it also has to do with our genetically acquired biochemical tendencies. So to start with attachment style, we do learn very early, and this would be for the most part in the first three years of our life that we don't necessarily remember in our mind, though our bodies remember, Um, we learn that our cries, which as babies, those were our expressed emotions, when we were hungry, for example, resulted in connection. We were picked up and fed or held, or maybe we were not. Some of us may have learned that our emotional expressions were futile or worse, resulted in negative consequences. And then it can take intentional work to grow the pathways conducive to emotional expressions that in early life may have been shut down. As I talk about in the attachment podcast episodes and a blog post on my website, how responsive our caregivers were is very much related to how they were responded to when they were in their early life. Where we fall on that spectrum of feeling is undoubtedly related to our attachment style. So an attachment spectrum can be on one end an avoidant and dismissive attachment style, and this is very much associated with someone who will be less inclined to recognize or express their emotional states. On the other end of the spectrum is an ambivalent or preoccupied attachment style. And this is where relationships are very anxiety-provoking, and these individuals can be easily overwhelmed by feeling states and have problems regulating emotions. And again, in this episode, I'm focused more on not overwhelmed by feelings, but ignoring or resisting our feeling states. Where we fall on this spectrum can be impacted by genetic factors such as methylation, which I'll comment on, but also our early attachment experiences. And again, these are times in our life that we don't remember, though our body and thus our feelings do. A biochemical tendency that could impact our expression of emotions can be methylation. And this is a biochemical process that impacts a number of things, and again, I have a podcast on methylation. But one of the things that it impacts, especially relevant to what I'm talking about in this episode, is how much neurotransmitter activity we have. So those of us who are undermethylated have lower neurotransmitter activity, and so we can have a very calm demeanor, even if we might have high inner tension. On the other end of the spectrum can be those who are overmethylated and they can have high neurotransmitter activity and more expressed emotional states. Other biochemical processes can be at play as well. High copper, which is associated with postpartum depression, but also can be driven by high estrogen levels from birth control or hormone replacement, 
but can also occur in men and boys, is something that would contribute to high adrenaline states. And this could contribute to higher anxiety, not unlike what we might see with overmethylation. When someone has pyrroles, and again, I have podcast episodes on each of these, they can have not only low B6 and low zinc levels, which are impacting neurotransmitter functioning, but part of this can be low GABA, which is a calming neurotransmitter. So any of these very common nutrient imbalances can impact our baseline feeling states. Also, how much we tend to use our left and right hemisphere. And as I've talked about before, symptoms of undermethylation are very much aligned with traits that relate to the left hemisphere. So it's worth noting that anger and detachment are more associated with the left hemisphere, whereas fear, sadness, and happiness are more associated with the right hemisphere. So what happens if we repress our feelings, or how might we know if we are doing that? As Carl Jung said, what you resist persists. We can physiologically do one of two things if we have strong emotions. We could go into that fight-or-flight state and potentially act out our feelings, or, and what I'm focusing on today, we might go into more of a numbness. We may emotionally shut down. And if we're not experiencing the depth of our negative emotions, then we're less likely to be experiencing the full range of positive emotions. And I want to reemphasize that though we think that our happiness lies in never having those feelings of mad, sad, or scared, the reality is that our happiness is determined by how well we are able to have these painful feelings. And for every negative feeling we don't feel, there is a positive one that we will miss out on. It reminds me of, the, of Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season. In other words, there's a time to feel scared or angry and a time to feel courageous, secure, safe, and confident. There's a time to connect and there's a time to experience loss. So there is a time to love and a time to feel deeply saddened. Another consequence of avoiding emotions can be addiction. And this could be any addiction involving substances, food, consumption, shopping, internet activities. It could be simply being too busy. Addiction can be a way to both avoid feelings and to try to seek stimulation or positive feelings and bury uncomfortable feelings. In the AA's 12-step model, step four is infamously known as the scary step. It is intended to help one identify negative feelings, emotions, and actions that have ruled one's life. It very much requires someone to tap into their vulnerability. To know how much we may be avoiding feeling states, we can look at how much of the following we have in our life. Do we have times of stillness, silence, solitude, simplicity? 
When we have room for these, what I call the four S's, we have room to feel and to listen to ourselves. In my own life, how much I allow for these is an indication of how much room I am allowing for my feelings. If these are getting shortchanged, I suspect I'm avoiding something. Physical symptoms can be another consequence and a very common consequence. And this happens by way of stress hormones. In the next episode, I'll be talking about mast cell activation. And this is one of the ways stress can put us directly into full-blown acute inflammation. Stress hormones, inflammation, if we are not experiencing our feelings and putting a lot of our physiologic energy to suppressing those We can even impact our ability to detoxify. It can contribute to a depletion of antioxidants and other nutrients. And these areas are all pivotal when it comes to brain disorders. Again, stress hormones, inflammation, toxicity, and nutrient imbalances. So just as trauma, emotional trauma, early attachment disruption, well, also the stress of not experiencing our emotions appropriately and the energy that it's required to bury them impacts these systems as well. Physical symptoms might be things like muscle tightness, headaches, fatigue, brain fog, stomach pain, but it can also be autoimmune conditions or really any chronic health condition. Buried emotions can come out in our behaviors. We may act out the emotions in a destructive way. We may do something unconsciously to get someone else to express our emotions. Once that person is angry, we might feel better. It's as if we've passed our feeling on a platter to someone else. It may come out as passive-aggressive behaviors. If you know someone who is what we would call passive-aggressive. When they are angry, they will make it clear that they're angry in very indirect ways. The best approach isn't to go fishing for their proper emotion. The most inquiry you might want to do is to invite them to talk about their feelings. To go further and repeatedly ask what is wrong, however, can reinforce what is an unhealthy way to communicate anger. Sometimes the wrong feelings we have will come out. We may cry when we're angry. Maybe the idea of being mad is incongruent with our identity. And thus, we are denying a very healthy part of our human condition. Unexpressed feelings can negatively impact our relationships. For example, let's say we are angry about something someone has said to us. If we don't value the relationship, we might brush it off. However, if the relationship is important to us, then it is important that we tell the person how what they said or did made us feel. This is the only truth that we have to have, is how we feel. It doesn't necessarily mean that they intended to make us feel that way, To share our feelings can be scary. We can feel vulnerable. We want to be heard and understood. If we are sharing our feelings with someone who cares about us and the relationship, then they will care about our feelings. If they gaslight, 
or rather suggest that the only problem is that we are overreactive or that we have feelings, then they need to do their own work. We can't do that for them. Having and expressing our feelings doesn't mean that we get a desired response. It simply means having and expressing our feelings in a way that is respectful to ourselves and the relationship. That we can feel good independent of any response. Often people fear that if they say something, then they will disrupt the relationship. To not speak up, however, raises the greater risk of harming the relationship. It's more likely that those feelings will get acted out, for example, losing one's temper, saying things one might regret, creating distance because it no longer feels good to be in that relationship, and having many of the physical consequences that I mentioned. Keep in mind, people who don't express their feelings can be difficult to trust and to feel close to. You never really know what is going on with them. So bothered by their own feelings that they can be dishonest and their people-pleasing can be destructive to themselves and those around them. And again, our physiology is pretty good at picking up even the repressed emotions of those around us. Aside from these negative consequences, repressing our feelings also takes up a lot of space and energy that we could be using elsewhere. It leaves us less able to access the positive emotions of joy, wonder, creativity, to name a few, and to experience deeper connections. It's hard to focus on our purpose and our connections when we are spending a lot of our energy keeping our feelings packed down in that pressure cooker. If we don't have self-compassion and know how to effectively listen to ourselves, we will not be able to offer that to others. We will expect others to push their feelings down, to suck it up, to live in the real world, as one might say. This easily happens for parents who never learn to listen to their own feelings. Perhaps those feelings weren't acknowledged by their parents. The most we can give our children is to really hear them so they can hear themselves. There will be plenty of people and institutions who will be glad for them to ignore their feelings, but they will suffer and so will we as we witness this in their lives. So how can we start to harness this superpower more effectively? Again, this is for accessing feelings and not necessarily recommended when someone has a severe issue with overwhelm and regulating their emotions. In which case, things like structure and containment of emotions become more important than what I'm talking about here, which is more mining for those feelings. So first, we need to listen to our body. When we are with someone and feel unsettled or thinking about something and feeling unsettled or making a choice and feeling unsettled, we need to notice what our body is experiencing. Is it tightness in our neck? Is it a hollow feeling in our stomach? Is our breathing changing? Those of us who meditate might even notice if our heart rate changes, and this would be without checking the pulse. We can also make room for our feelings to be felt and heard through those four S's. So we can give ourselves some times of silence, solitude, stillness, 
and simplicity. Again, for me, this is meditation. We can consider journaling. You might do an inventory on mad, glad, sad, and scared. You might even consider questions that one might ask who is working through that fourth step of the 12-step program. You might ask things like, what people, places, and things do I resent? And what led to those resentments? How have my resentments affected my life, my relationships, and myself? Who do I fear and why? How do I respond destructively or negatively to my fears? Who or what do I feel ashamed or guilty about? What feelings do I have the most trouble allowing myself to feel? Or how do I act them out? I would also add questions, however, about sadness, which is not directly mentioned in that inventory. I tend to think that sadness is the hardest to get to, the most painful, the most easily replaced by anger and fear, again, fight or flight. If we were answering what makes us sad, we may not even need those other questions. We can also make sense of our feelings. Why do we feel the way we do? We can be curious and we can be compassionate. Sometimes it is related to the present and what is happening in the moment, but sometimes our feeling is related to the past. For example, we may feel nervous in the presence of someone in a position of authority. That may have nothing to do with them, but perhaps a childhood feeling associated with people in charge. Perhaps someone abused their authority. That that feeling relates to the past doesn't make it less of a feeling. We can embrace our vulnerability and rather welcome our human condition. We can be with people we trust and share our feelings, or we don't even have to talk about it. I like the quote by Marilyn Monroe when discussing her own suffering. She said, It's often just enough to be with someone. I don't need to touch them, not even talk. A feeling passes between you both. You're not alone. She also makes an important point here about how we can be most helpful to those who are suffering. We don't need to fix or try to cheer them up. The most important thing we can do is to just be present with them. In fact, trying to fix, rescue, or save only discount someone's feelings and experience and paradoxically results in disconnection rather than connection. There are those times, of course, when it can feel like someone is excessively unloading their feelings in a way that isn't healthy for them or the relationship. Here again is where it's good to listen to our own feelings and ask, is my reluctance to stay present with this person because I'm not comfortable with my own painful feelings? Or is this person stuck in a feeling, perhaps because they're not expressing the appropriate feeling? An example of this might be someone who is going through a divorce and wants to talk excessively about all the things their former spouse is doing or has done. Maybe what they are feeling is anger, yes, but likely also untapped fear about the future and sadness about their loss. If we are expressing the wrong emotion, one that might be easier to express, we can stay stuck. So having the appropriate feeling is important to have, but also to have so that we can let it go, we can release it. I love the phrase, 
let go what needs to go and let come what needs to come. But again, you can't let something go until you know you have it, in this case, a feeling first. Lastly, and I would say for me personally, this has been one of the most powerful tools when it comes to having painful feelings. And this is referred to as radical gratitude. This is when you notice a painful feeling arising, and then as you are having it, taking a moment to be grateful for it. I've talked previously about research into gratitude practices, and though normally we think of those as positive observations from the day, for example, we can still use it here. We can say thank you for the fear, the anger, the sadness. Thank you for my humanity. Thank you. And as I've said previously, it doesn't matter who we think we're thanking. And it's important to note this doesn't make the feelings go away, nor should it. It takes away our resistance. It allows us to be with what is. I do hope that something you've heard in this episode sticks with you and causes some small internal shift that allows you to live more fully. If you know someone who you think could benefit, please consider sharing. In the next episode, I look forward to talking about mast cells, which are part of the inflammatory response that are particularly reactive to our stress hormones. They really are the intersection between our immune and central nervous systems and part of the relationship between inflammation and brain symptoms. To be notified of upcoming episodes, please consider subscribing at CourtneySnyderMD.com where I also have blog posts related to the root causes of brain-related symptoms. If you'd like to help me get this information out into the world, please consider liking, sharing, or commenting on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. I look forward to connecting with you in a future podcast. Until then, take care.